Uh, this morning, I know it's Memorial Day, and, and, and I hope that you uh, honor and recognize the, the servicemen who uh, not just gave some, but gave all. And you think about that, and you are appreciative to that uh, dedication and sacrifice. And don't just have a barbecue, and don't just do whatever you do, but do, do it with an understanding of what's happening. One of the greatest uh, uh, patriotic things to do is to give your life for your country. And I know as believers, we tend to not really think about patriotism, but really we ought to be very thankful that we live in probably in really the greatest nation uh, of all of human history when you look back across it. And even with its warts and its problems and everything, people are still clamoring to get into this country. So there's some things there that, you know, you need to look at and, and, and just I, I don't take just one day to do that. Do it all the time. I know I sure am because if it ha wasn't for the 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 blood of the of of the service and so forth to to do and to take care of our country may be completely different we may not be able to do right here what we're able to do and uh i'll be honest with you from my heart to use that have served i do thank you for that even though i may not say it all the time and it's just simply not because of neglect to say it but it's just something that i know our focus is in the heavenly places but yet at the same time, we do make sacrifices in the now uh, and so forth. And quit listening to the politicians, would you? Okay. All right. Twelve years ago this weekend, May 11th, uh, or May 2011, we, we moved into this building. So it's kind of an anniversary. By the way, the church's birthday, our Southwest Bible Fellowship, is August of 1999. So we're 24 years old. We'll be 25 years old next year. But, and we'll say more about that next time. But I just got to thinking about being here 12 years. This is the longest we've ever sat in one place, okay? We tend to, we tend to grow, fill it up, and move. Grow, fill it up, and move. And we grow, and we fill this up, uh, we're filling it up, and just, I think economically, we, I don't think we can really move, if you will, okay? But the issue then got me to thinking about in scripture the issue of a memorial and the issue of how important it is to recognize uh, big events big moments key moments and you may say yeah but Rick just 12 years or 25 you know but it's just the issue of the recognition okay uh, hanging on the back wall back there is a plaque that was 20 years ago for our, our in our 20th anniversary for Linda and I and so forth and I told the guys when we were talking about it it isn't that I need recognition far from it it's the marking of the moment why we have young people the future that they need to understand that and they need to know that so I went into scripture and I just got to looking at the memorials and the first place the word memorial shows up is in Exodus 3 and I know Paul, he'll say, remember this in remembrance, but the actual the issue of memorial. Now, a memorial, in the definition of it, is a preservation of a memory, to preserve something. And, in, in, and again, Exodus 3, it's in verse 15. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. 
This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Now, so this memorial is a very interesting memorial here. First of all, it's about his name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then there's also some, it's going to last how long? Forever. Now, we have a monument sign out there on the street that says we're here at Southwest Bible Fellowship. And you know what? It'll only take a car to drive through that, and that'll be gone. This memorial is going to last for a long time. It's going to last forever. And, and, and it's interesting that it's about his name. Because when you go back up into Exodus now, into chapter 3, and you see the context of what's going on, what is happening here that he would tell Moses, this is a memorial now for my name. This is a memorial here, and it's going to last forever. Well, uh, look at verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So what has happened? Moses is understanding that he is, he, he's their deliverer. He's going to deliver his people, Israel. And yet he goes and he kills the Egyptian and he tries to help God rather than, than getting, right, getting in the proper line and the proper understanding. He goes and tries to help God and the nation of Israel turns on him. And they won't listen to him. So he runs back to father-in-law, back to the in-laws, to the backside of the desert. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the brush. And he looked, and behold, the brush burned with fire, and the brush was not consumed. I'm sorry, the bush. Brush. Yeah, well, brush, bush, brush. It's all bees. Okay? But keep, but keep looking here. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And off he goes, and he draws his shoes off. And by the way, the drawing of the shoe and everything, is a, it, when he takes his shoes off, that indicates that Moses is not operating properly. He's not functioning properly. He's on holy ground, see, he shouldn't be there. If he was operating, functioning properly, you leave his shoes on. Take him off. Not, you're not functioning properly. But now drop down to verse 13. So, so the Lord tells Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to say, let my people go. And he, in verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And, you know, they got this talk back and forth. Verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am sent, I am, I am, hath sent me unto you. And God said, Notice, moreover, more to this. You see, the I am, the Jehovah statement, he tells Moses, they have known me as God Almighty, but they need to know me now as Jehovah. So he sets a memorial up, and the memorial is in the burning of the bush. And what the burning of the bush, by the way, the burning of the bush is the nation of Israel's national symbol, not the star of David. That's the star of Moloch, the, god, the, 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 uh, the pagan god that they worshiped, okay? 
the burning bush, and what happens now is this becomes a memorial. And the memorial of verse 15 in his name, and, and it sits in that issue of the burning bush, the bush that was not consumed. And what is it? It's I am. It's here's Jehovah. Here's the guy. What's your name? You know, who, who, do I call, who do I say has sent me? And he says, you say that I am that I am. I am sent me, Jehovah. But it's a memorial, the end of verse 15, for how long? How long is it going to last? It's going to last unto all the generations. It's going to last forever. And you know what's going to happen? Down in the Lord's day, in the earthly ministry, just a few years later, what's, what are they saying? Who are you? They come down into the garden to get him. Judas is with them. And he said, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what he says? I am. Now, the English requires a finishing of that incomplete sentence. So he says, I am he. See? But he says what? I am. Well, who is that? What would that shake them to the bones? It would bring them right back here to Exodus 3 and what? The memorial. The remembering, the, preser the preserving here of when God sent the deliverer to deliver the nation of Israel from bondage. What is the Lord going to do for Israel? Same thing. So what does he say? I am. Come over to chapter 15 of Exodus. Exodus 15. So the memorial, there's a, there's a, a, a Exodus 15. Think about his name. Look at verse 26. All right, so they've come out. They've been delivered. We've come through the, the, uh, the ten plagues. The death angel has come. If you look there in chapter 14, verse 30, thus the Lord, by the way, capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah, the I Am, had uh, saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. What They, they see it. They're, everything's a physical moment. Chapter 15, verse 26, uh, verse 23, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, bitter. Verse 26, And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I besought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Rapheka, the I am. What's he going to do? He's, I'm going to deliver you. See, the Lord now is going to take Israel and Moses out there, and he's going to give five testings to Israel to prove that he is what? The name of Exodus 3 that's on that memorial in the burning bush. I am. So he's drilling it down into their understanding and into their thinking about this great historical event that happened on the back end of the desert between him and Moses and nobody else was there. And that's fantastic. Chapter 16, he continues, verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifth day of the second month, 
after their departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they're, they're, they're murmuring now, and they're complaining. We don't have anything to eat. Well, come down to verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmuring of the children of Israel speaking unto them, speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am there it is, the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at evening the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay down about the host. And what do we have? We have the issue of the manna and the doves. But who is he? He is, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. That's who I am. And he begins to teach. Come over to chapter 17. In chapter 17, they, he's the Amaleks, and now they're out there, and, and the Gentiles in that land don't like them in their land. So now they're going to fight and duke it out. And uh, Moses, verse 9, says unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And you know what happens? He stands there with his hands up, and when his hands begin to come, and then they lose, and then they win. When his hands are up, they're winning. When, they, when he drops his hands, verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it on. I mean, they're propping old Mo up. <laughs> They got him propped up. Why? Because that's, what are they doing? They're winning and losing against their enemy. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Isn't that interesting? There's going to be a book of memory, a memorial book here. And he says, And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, that is, Lord, our conquering hero. But what I want you to catch is that there's a remembrance book, a memorial book, a book that comes in. Now go back to chapter 12. A book that's, that's going to be there. And so, so let's keep the memory, preserve the memory, but do what? Rehearse it with Joshua. Because who's the next guy to take over? Joshua is. Chapter 12 of Exodus. So I think memorials are important to the Lord. They're marking key events. Okay, now you don't have a memorial when you take the dog out and do your job. Key events. Big events. Why? Rehearse it. Keep it in front of them. Look at Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, you've got the great passage, verse 2, this month, uh, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 6, And ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth uh, day of the same month. So that's how you know Passover's on what day? Fourteenth. No matter where that day falls in the week, it's on the fourteenth. But what are they doing on the tenth day? Taking the, Lord, taking the lamb out, watch him spotless and everything. So when the Lord's triumphal entry, they call it in religion, when he goes into that city, goes into Jerusalem, that's on the 10th day of the month, Abib. 
on the 14th day, he's going to be what? Passover. He's going to kill him. That's how you know this. It isn't, you know. Now, drop down to verse 12. So you got the Passover, right? Verse 6 there. The uh, 14th day of the same month, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Okay? They're going to eat it over the, overnight. There's nothing going to be left of it. Whatever's left, they've got to destroy. By the way, verse 11, And thus ye, shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet. Isn't that interesting that he notes that? And your staff in your hand. So you know how you're eating? Not like mom said, Keep your elbows off the table. What are you doing? You're re- they're ready and they're eating. Staff in hand, ready to go. Why? Because that's the position they were in in Exodus originally when they're leaving. This is where we're at. Now watch verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. So wherever Israel ends up in the future, this is the event, in the future, what are they going to do? They're going to do this prescription. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Okay? So what? verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a, what? A memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by, by an ordinance forever. How long is this memorial lasting for Israel? Forever. How long is that Passover going to be served and honored and forever? Now, the Lord is the Passover lamb. He fulfills it. But guess what they do? They still are going to be doing this, but it's a memorial of the redemption blood that they posted on the post doorpost, and they kept the, the, the death angel away. When they were going to do what? Leave Egypt. They're leave, when Israel leaves Egypt, that is the birth of the nation. When they cross that dry land and they get up on the other side and Pharaoh closes that, that is the birth canal, if you will, of the nation. Israel, my firstborn. They weren't, Jew, they weren't Jews in Israel prior to that. They're Israel after it. The nation. And Israel was to remember. They're going to remember the Passover. They're going to remember the manna. They're going to remember the feast, Leviticus 23 and Exodus 28. Go over to Exodus 28. You're in Exodus. I tried to pick one book (laughs) instead of running you to all 50 or what, 66. Sorry. Okay. Look at Exodus 28. You see, folks, they're to remember. Exodus 28, we have the, the priesthood and the garments listed. Verse 12, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial under the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. They're going to come. This is all to remember what big day? The Exodus. Because the Exodus starts the issues of their Passover and their feast schedule. Why? Because they're now a nation. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Now come over to Psalms 78. 
because this is really where I started when I got to thinking about us in a memorial. Look at Psalms 78. A Psalm of Asaph. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful psalm. Verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known of our, and our fathers have told us. Notice, these aren't unfamiliar. They've been taught this. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He had done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. What were they going to do? They were going to go and they're going to write the law on the doorposts and on their eyelids and coming and going. The, the, law, the law of the Lord was there. But watch verse 6. That the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. It's an interesting thing. In Israel, the memorial, the thought of the memorial in Scripture is what is it for? It isn't for you. It's for who? The future. The future generations. That generation to come might know them. And that's the issue, is to let those who are coming up to know who we are. And when I begin to think about it, it I think it's very critical to remember to celebrate key events in the life of a local assembly, especially us, because we're us, <laughs> okay? And, and I, I think it's important to remember, to mark the occasion so that the young come and they begin to understand that why do we come to church? It's not just a place to come and get closer to God, okay? It isn't a place to just something to do to fill up a Sunday, but rather it's a place where truth is communicated. And it's, it's a place where truth is the issue. The King James Bible is an issue. Dispen right division, mid-acts dispensationalism, whatever you, is the issue. Not whether it's me or someone else, but that's the issue. You see, when we come together, what we're doing here isn't just a place to go to church. We're not playing church. See, we have a history. Because we, here, we sit in a long line. Actually, a long line of believers who've come before us, who've originated out of two churches in Chicago, in the Chicago land area. There were two churches, North Shore Church, pastored by J.C. O'Hare, founded in the late 1800s, established in 1900. And then there's another church called Norwood Bible Church, used to be Norwood Park Bible Church. Norwood Bi They're founded in 1933. Now, this is our history, okay? So in, 1930, in 1900, North Shore's going, J.C. O'Hare's going, they're learning, they're, learn they're teaching the same things we're teaching. They're understanding the same things we're understanding. 
and they're growing. And then, as in any city, because they're in the city, they're in, they're on Wilson Avenue. They're literally in the Loop area. They're down. I mean, they're down where they're at now. Well, they're when we were there in 1979, 1980. Here we are. We come from Alabama. So in Alabama, you have a you have a CB radio in your car. Okay. So we get in there, we pull, we go in, we come out, and the CB radio's been stolen. But they were nice enough to unscrew it, not rip it out, and leave the screws there, you know, so it didn't destroy anything. But that's the, you know, you, we parked in a parking lot, the bank parking lot across the street, because it was armed, locked, had a security guard on it. You couldn't park in the, in the street because your car wouldn't be there. So it's a rough neighborhood, but as the city grows, and people move where? To the suburbs. North Shore went out into Norwood Park, set up some tents, had some tent meetings, and you know what they established? They established a little local church out there called Norwood Park Bible Church back in the thir- in 33, okay? So then Norwood Bible Park becomes Norwood Bible Church in 19, oh, man, I just had it, 55, I think, is when that happened. I'm trying to look at the cornerstone in my head, Okay. Don, pastor Ellison was the pastor there. He passes away in about 80, 81, right in there, um, in, in 81. And when that, all of that's going on over here, meanwhile at North Shore, 1979, my family moved to Chicago from Montgomery, Alabama. When we did that, Dad was moving up to work at Brian Bible Society with C.R. Stam. Okay? That's, so we go up. Well, we need a church to go to, so we go to North Shore Church. They're looking for a pastor. They have had fill-ins and so forth. J.C. O'Hare passed away in uh, 50-something, 58, okay? And the thing is, is, so they've been looking and so forth. So Dad goes, and he's just preaching, just filling in, and that became our home church. I'm, By the way, I'm an inactive member of North Shore Bible Church, <laughs> Okay inactive in that I'm not haven't been there in a long time okay but the thing is is that's the history here Don Ellison passes away Norwood is looking for a pastor they're growing smaller numerically but older age-wise so they have a meeting and the gentleman that took care of the the North Shore church building North Shore is a big building okay and he said basically the buildings too much for me to take care of now so they had a business meeting, which was a congregation, and they decided to sell the building, 1981. They sell the building, downtown on Wilson. Now we're looking to join. They didn't want to disband. They just wanted to go merge and be a part of another church. Well, guess what? Norwood, they're looking for a preacher because Don Ellison just passed away, 8081. And so the two groups come together. And from 1981-ish to 83, they you know how you have some growing spurts and you just kind of get some elbows rubs and everything and they went through that and in 1983 they decided to become one church shore wood north shore nor wood the end of the and put them together shorewood bible church and in 1983 shorewood bible church so they are 40 years old this year became the church Dad, I, I come out of that. I'm a byproduct of that. Follow me? All right. Now, this is, by the way, this is our memorial. None of that is over in those books over there. What I'm about to tell you is over there. So 
I come from that. Therefore, you're coming from that. This assembly is coming out of that line. In 1994, by the way, 1983, Grace School of the Bible started. I was 13 years old. I was the cameraman. And we go to there, and as I have been trained and grown up, growing up with my father, when we go to church, you take notes, you pay attention. We didn't have phones. We didn't have digits, all that stuff. And by the way, my father inspected our notes at the end of the, at the, end of the day. So we had to have something. Yeah, ooh, is right, you know. Now, as, as we got older, that lessened a little, it changed, you know, and so forth. But what's he doing? Training his kid. You, you pay attention. We used to sit, we called it Teenager Row on the back, right in front of the window like that. We had the same, similar, and we would sit back there, and my dad would go, and every head would look up. Because in our family, dad didn't need to speak, he just needed to snap, because he's busy, he's working, but he could see us goofing around, and what would he do? And we knew we were dead meat, because dad doesn't forget. And if he doesn't remember right away, mom reminds him. And growing up, we were, so anyway, 1994, Linda and I get married, we're out here, we're, we're here, we were attending uh, Grace Berean Bible Church, Mac Regester's church, we were going there, we had the kids and everything, and as we were beginning to get going and so forth, we, again, a few years passed away, back and forth, I began to study, and really, I'd taken grade school of the Bible like 18 different times because, but just never finished, never did it seriously, if you will. You know, we, we're still in the classes. I'm taking notes. I'm supposed to be running the video camera. I was told, because why? If I don't take notes, I'm in trouble, you know. And so anyway, so we began, I began to study and began to look into things and began to really see the need to live the grace life, okay? Not a law-grace mix, but a grace life. And as I began to get, go, grow, therefore, I'm teaching who? My wife. That's my job. My kids are little guys. So I'm teaching Linda. We begin to get going. And so we started just a simple Bible study in October of 1997. Okay? And we did it in our living room. We had, some, we had a few folks come. And uh, we moved in 1998 to where we currently live. So guess what? Bible study moved with us. We just changed the address. And as more folks begin to come, Nick and Susie, Marcosian, they come about, about 1999, right in there. And all of a sudden, our living room is full. And I'm talking to the guys, and we're talking and so forth, and we decide to go public, if you will, i.e., out of the living room. Okay, the Coopers, Bill and Carol, they come Sunday morning, Sunday school. They were there. They, but they wouldn't. But they're like, you get out of your living room, then we'll show up. And and I get it. I was like, yep, because my wife is telling me, get out of my house. You know, let's get going. So then, in in 1999, we incorporated, and the reason for that is is because we were trying to move in, meet at the at the hotel. And in order to do business and have a bank account, what do you have to have? All the IAN numbers and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. So we incorporated, and in 2000, we moved into La Quinta Inn at US 60 and, the super, and Superstition. And we began to meet there. And we met there until 2004. In that time, we started the website. We started streaming. 
we started just doing the work of the men. Just well, we didn't do that at we didn't do that at the hotel. The streaming part. Sorry. Well, we got the uh, internet going. We got we just and and all of a sudden that forty five member capacity hotel room filled up, especially in the winter time, because the winter visitors are beginning to hear, hey, there's Rick Jordan Jr. and he's got a church, you know, Bible church going and blah, and off we go. By the way, in the year 2000, I was ordained as a pastor, minister by Shorewood, my home church. So we filled up that conference room. It took about four years to get there, but we did it, and we did it more consistently than just wintertime, <laughs> okay? When the winter visitors showed up, the tables went away and the chairs and were like this, and when they would go home for the summer, we'd spread back out, you know? But we filled it up. We got a few more little guys coming. So then we moved in 2004 to Baseline in McClintock. We chose Tempe, not because Tempe is some great city, but rather because of location, centrally located. You can get to us now. We had been hearing, oh, you guys are in the East Valley. It's too far for me to drive the 15 minutes. What? I was driving 40, we were driving 45 minutes one way about nine times during the week to go to church. Okay, so don't give me 15. Well, but it is, and it's, okay. So we moved into Tempe, and there, again, we began to grow. We started the streaming. We started Bible conferences. We had the radio, we had a radio program. We had a whole list of growth was going, and children's ministry growing and growing, and people coming and being a part of that. And we were there. Um, and really until 2011 when we moved here. And in 2010, we, we began to see a need. We, we established a, a, our board. We established a, our new constitution that did all that and so forth. And so we just had a lot of, lot of growth, a lot of wow. You, you, know, you, people, you know who you're listening to, right? <laughs> I don't know too much yet, you know. So we began to grow. And in 2011, we found this campus here. And with some help from some folks that were a part of us at the time, we were able to purchase the building. And then we began to move and grow here. Now, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry, I should have told you this. But as we began to do that, we were always focused on making sure that we were honoring really these two verses that we're going to look at, Okay. And again, here now, we've been here 12 years. What have we been doing here? Growing. I mean, we've, you know, a lot of kids, then the big kid ministry and all that. Kids, children, young adults, okay? And, and again, that's not a byproduct of me. It's a byproduct of the word effectually working in you that believe. From the very beginning, personally, I wanted a place where I could take my children, where the Word of God was taught, rightly divided, and the grace life was what the focus was. Okay? I determined that I wanted that place. And as I looked around the landscape, that place did not exist in the valley. Well, what about... So, do, no, it, doesn't, it, did, it did not exist at that time. So I took 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, to not only be my, my ministry verse, but to be the, the verse that kind of pushes everything moving forward. 
not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now, by the way, nothing against the other ministries that were working here. It just wasn't where I was at in my understanding. Okay? And by the way, I wasn't the only I wasn't the only one standing there. Others were like, yeah, yeah, and they joined us. The founding signers of our founding documents, two of the gentlemen went to other churches and were just like, okay, we're done doing this over and over again. Yeah, okay, let's go. And they come, we studied, and they grow, and they're like, yeah, we need to be legit, if you will. But this verse right here, I understood what it was to have my faith put under dominion. I understood what it was to have someone come in, 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 in a position of authority, i.e. not my dad, my mom, okay, and say, because you don't do this, then you can't do that. And because you don't line up with this, you can't. And, and as that began to become a reality, I was like, uh-uh, that's not how this is supposed to work. So I said to my, me, myself, and I, we had a great conversation, I will never do that. Some have said, Rick, why don't you make the guys teach and fill in for you? Then I'm doing what? I'm violating the verse that I said I'll never do. The verse in 1 Timothy 3 says, if a man desires. You've got to want to do that. You've got to have the ability. Okay. By the way, on baseline, that's when we came to meet Keith and Debbie. Keith's been filling in baseline. Our baseline's got a lot. We did a lot of stuff there in seven years. <laughs> we really did. Okay? So what I wanted it to be was a place of a helper of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So that became a great push. It still is. Every Sunday morning as I'm getting dressed, I'm replaying in my mind this verse. Helper of their joy. Help. Who's going to run your life? You do, but you need help sometimes, so let me be your helper. Now, if you come over to chapter 4, this then became our the church verse, if you will, the ministry verse. Chapter 4, verse, verse 1 and 2. And really, this verse here, just for me, is my heartbeat, if you will, verse 2. But verse 1, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. When I read that, I said, in the early days, we didn't have a board. We didn't have leadership. I made the final decision. They, say, they call this in parliamentary terms, I, it was pastor-led. In other words, I would say, we're going to need to do this. What do you guys think? Okay, get your feedback. And then I made the decision. Okay. So I told myself, I'll never do anything, how? Dishonestly. You want to see the books? We'll crack them open let you look. There ain't nothing going on. You want to see this? You want to understand that? You want to ask? I say it to you today. We, last week we had our board meeting. It's open for everybody to come and sit and listen. We may even ask you what you think. Okay? But the ultimate decision will be with the board because that's what we decided to be was pastor board and congregational led <laughs> we're all three by the way okay but the buck stops usually where right here you know but it's it's the idea of of 
Philippians 1, everybody's involved, the congregation, the pastor, the bishops, and the deacons. But my point is, is I didn't want to do anything dishonest. So I said, we're not doing that. Nor not walking in craftiness. We're not going to tell you we're going to have a cookout just to get you to come to church, just to count the numbers. I counted one time all the people that used to come, had come and left. And I did this until we moved here. Because here we got more and I couldn't. And we had about like 600 people that if they had stayed would have been 600 large. <laughs> you know, instead we were 80. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. But what happened? This verse didn't commend it to themselves. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Now, that's not the changing the text in the new Bibles. That's in chapter 2 and verse uh, 17. Where we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. That's... Handling the Word of God, how? Deceitfully. That's the issue of right division. You see, we're not going to come in and say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is for you. Acts is for you. James is for you. What are we going to do? We're going to honor the way God said to study the Scriptures. We're going to rightly divide it. We're going to leave Israel's program to Israel. We're going to go learn it, love it, enjoy it, the riches in it. But we're going to focus our grace life over here in Paul's epistles. Therefore, but by manifestation of the what? The truth. What are we doing from this pulpit? Preaching the truth. We're not doing anything else. We may have an update of this or that, but we're preaching the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what am I after? I'm not after your pocketbook. I'm after your what? Your conscience, your heart. Because if, I, if God says, if I have your heart, I'll get your money. <laughs> he doesn't say it like that, but okay. So I understand that if the grace life catches you, then the offering box, by the way, you notice I didn't make that announcement this morning about the offering box. If the grace life catches you and gets you and grips you and the riches of it, and then guess what? You're going to purpose in your heart to make sure that what the lights stay on. Why? Because we have a future here. You see, the memorial, remembering what we're doing, why we're doing it, commending ourselves. If you come here, you're here because you want, you're looking for something. It's always why I ask people, how'd you find us? What you looking for? <laughs> why? We've had folks here come, King James Bible. You know that that's all over our website that we use a King James Bible. Why? I don't want anybody coming here thinking that they can reuse anything else but that. I don't get the hint, okay? That's why how we study, rightly dividing the word, is all over the website. Why? Because I don't want anybody thinking, what is this stuff? I want it to be clear. Commending the truth to your conscience. And as we grow spiritually, and as we do that, what are we? We're doing it together. Now, we come over to 2 Timothy 3. So... As we have been growing here over the last 12 years, I began to look at the issue of the grace life and try to think about how to say it in a very concise statement about who we are in Christ. What it is that distinguishes us from everybody else out there. 
what, what sets us apart from the average church? Well, I just said, what, King James Bible and right division. So now we're, we're, we're really set apart. But then at that same time, out of Chicago, they begin to develop uh, a, a, a same statement, if you will. And I was sitting with in, in the meeting when, when this was being kind of, how do we succinctly say who we are, what we're about, and what's going on? And we came up with the five points that are in the overhead, the second slide where we talk about a gospel you can believe. When we talk about a Bible you can study, a Bible you can trust. By the way, a gospel you can believe, that leads us to be able to enjoy a message that you can believe. That then allows us to discover a life that you can live, a stud and study a Bible you can trust and identify a purpose you can fulfill. And that became where that came from was a, how do you succinctly narrow this thing down? So a gospel you can believe, a Bible you can trust, a study you can understand, a life you can go live, and a purpose you can fulfill. Because isn't that what everybody wants in life? Is a purpose and an understanding. So as we begin to do that, and as we begin to raise the flag, the pillar, and the ground of the truth here, where we do use the King James Bible, we do preach the word rightly divided. And as we begin to move forward into the next chapter, if you will, that's what needs to be passed down to our children. That's what needs to be kept in front of us. That's what what allows the, the godly generations to continue. Because the Lord, if he tarries, you're going to die. Woohoo! happy, happy, happy. Yeah. No, absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. That's a great thing, man. Okay? But then they are going to step up into the realms of the leadership roles and the realms of keeping things moving forward. As... Shore, as North Shore, as they begin to look at the building about them, and they begin to see that, hey, it's too much we need to sell and to do and to move forward, that little group did that and made that decision. First of all, we are not disbanding. We're going to sell and look for another place to land. So that little core group stayed. Norwood, they stayed. And as Norwood and North Shore became Shorewood, new people began to come in. And you know how they came in? They came in as Shorewood, not North Shore or Norwood. They came in to that new identity. And as we begin to do that, and as we begin to grow, we need 2 Timothy 3. Look at verse 14. What do we need to do? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned. We need to do what? We need to continue, don't we? We need to grow. We need to make the grace life even bigger, if you will. Understandable. Relatable. Chapter 4, verse 2. What are we going to do? Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Be in, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Hey, right now it's pretty con been pr pretty convenient to be a preacher and to preach the word and to stand. But in, out of season's coming where it's not an, a good thing. <laughs> to raise the flag and say, here's the pillar of the truth. We're going to do it. 
See, that's the issue. The in-season and out-of-season isn't, well, I don't feel like it today, so no. Call Keith. Hey, Keith, real quick, you got one? You know, no. In-season, it's good, it's safe, it's, it's boom. Out-of-season, it isn't safe anymore. But what are we doing? We're doing that. Chapter 7, I'm sorry, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. Man, I, boy, that is what I pray for us as a whole, is to fight the good fight. I have, kept, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Philippians 1, if you will. You see, the memorial, it's Memorial Day. We don't have a burning bush. We got a couple books over there with pictures and history in it and a little memorial wall. That's why we have that memorial wall there. To remind ourselves, we've got the picture wall. By the way, if your uh, picture is not on there, see Linda. We'll get it on there, okay? The reason it hasn't been updated in is because eventually that wall is going to go away. So eventually. So one so we weren't really thinking about adding to it, but we need your picture. Why do you have it? So people know. So you're identifiable. By the way, if you're not on there, there isn't really a reason, but I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> All right. But the thing is, is what are we doing here? We're establishing a beachhead. We have established a beachhead. We're going to keep the faith. We're going to preach the word. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to finish the course. As my course comes to a conclusion, as your course does, I'm age-wise and the end of the day, then we have young, we can pass it on to. Keep them moving. Philippians 1, in verse 21, Paul says, For to me, I love that, for to me, Paul's estimation of life, for to me, what a, what a wonderful, for to me. You know how Paul thought about life? I mean, here's a guy, you think you got it bad? You don't compare to what Paul went through. For to me, to live is Christ. Wow, I hope you're able to say that in the end. For to me. In my thinking, in my estimation, in my understanding, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wow, what a memorial he had. What a memorial we have. What a history we have. We reach all the way back to 1900, if you will. We're just a byproduct of that. Now, you're not North Shore or Norwood. You are Southwest Bible Fellowship. But you come from a long legacy of people doing what? Keeping the faith, fighting the good fight, continuing on. So then guess what we're going to do? Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Why? Because for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. What a wonderful memorial. Personally, I think what a wonderful thing to think about on Memorial Day <laughs> weekend. Because what does Paul say? For to me, the history, the history of it, carry on, continue. It's the grace life, folks. It's for to me, to live is Christ. Our dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. For all the spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for the equipping, for the righteousness, for the mercy, the long-suffering, the forbearance. For everything that makes up you, 
that you've applied to us in your Son. We thank you for that. And as we think about the, the memorial, the day, the weekend, think about our, our own history and our own establishment and our, what we're doing here, not for ourselves, but for your honor and for your glory. Because for to us to live is Christ. And to die is gain. In your name we pray.